Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of See Here Love. And um, we're glad that you've joined us for the beginning of Justice Week. And what better guest to have than Philip Calvert, the National Director of Development for IJM Canada, which is the International Justice Mission. Now, I'm gonna warn you ahead of time. This conversation is difficult. Uh, we talk about forced slavery and that there are 40 million people trapped in slavery today, which basically is Canada plus the greater Toronto area times two. So think about Canada and the GTA times two. We're all, if you're Canadian, we're all in forced slavery today. We also talk about OSEC, which is hard and difficult to talk about, but it's online sexual exploitation of children. And I think for the very first time in a long while on a podcast and interview, I got quite emotional as we talked about the Philippines as one of the largest suppliers of sexual exploitation of children and the difficult acknowledgement that Canada is one of the countries that what he called the demand side of online sexual exploitation of children. Hard to hear. Uh, we talk about what we can do through December, wearing a dress or tie for the whole month of December. And yet it's hopeful, this conversation, because we talk about what we can do and we look at the three E's, which Philip will explain in the conversation. So I want you to be prepared. This conversation is hard, but you know what? It's important. It's also important because we need to find hope in these areas. We need to know what we can do. We need to be reminded that our voice matters. And um, yeah, I think it's time that we do something and we care and protect the most vulnerable in society, our children. And yeah, this is a good conversation. So here it is, uh, myself and Mr. Philip Calvert. Hey everyone, Merry Christmas. And we have a special challenge for you today. Uh, first off, we wanna share that we have partnered again with International Justice Mission Canada and December Canada to offer an opportunity for you and I to end slavery and human trafficking. And what that means, December, is you commit to wearing a dress, the same dress, or I guess a, a, a dress every single day of December to bring awareness uh, to the issues of slavery and human tra trafficking. Or you can wear a tie, if you're a guy, every single day. And you can get involved by going to ijm.ca slash seeherelove and creating a fundraising page to say to people, hey, I'm gonna wear a dress and I want you to fundraise um, in support of the work of IJM. And so you tell your colleagues, your friends, your family, anybody who will give uh, to go to this, your page to help you raise money to stop slavery and human trafficking. Now, I did this a couple years ago I'm going to tell you something. It was, it was good the first three days because <laughs> I had a black dress and I accessorized it with like a scarf or some, some jewelry. But I'll be honest, by day four or five, it was really challenging. And I remember I had to take some moments where as I was frustrated about wearing the same dress and having to borrow accessories from my girlfriends, I had to take a pause because I realized this was just a small little challenge uh, that represented huge challenges of my sisters and women around the world that are struggling with slavery and human trafficking. It was really good for me uh, to feel, and it seems so insignificant, but to feel this kind of frustration and pain and inconvenience, but then say, I'm doing this to help my sisters who are in great need and in distress and in despair. And for all the days of December, it really helped me think through and pray for uh, the women that are struggling today. So I really want to encourage you to join us for December 
Go to IJM.ca slash see here love for more information of how you can get involved. And it's a way to rally your girlfriends, your community to all do the same. Hey, listen, you don't have to worry about what you're going to wear <laughs> every day because it's the same outfit. But no, it's a bigger cause. It, there's a bigger reason because we want to stop injustice. Um, we want to lift up the poor and we want to see a world where all people are free. So go to IJM.ca slash see here love and join us for December and giving hope to so many sisters and brothers of ours around the world. <sighs> All right. Well, I have a very special guest with me, Philip Calvert, the National Director of Development for International Justice Mission Canada, IJM Canada. And I am so excited to hear, actually, know more about Philip, know more about you, Philip. So welcome. Welcome to See Here Love and our show. Yeah, thank, thanks, Melinda. This is really exciting. We're, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. There's a, I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> so get ready. But first of all, let's start with this. So what made you decide to get into this line of work? And I know we're going to be talking a lot about what IGM Canada does, and you guys do a lot mm -hmm. of great things, and I want to really kind of like unpack that as we go. But uh, this kind of work, this hard work, development work, what made you want to get into this? Yeah, it's a... Huh. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's kind of a 10 year story really. Okay. But, um, uh, when I was in, in college, I went to Bible college here in Calgary where I live. And, uh, in order to kind of pay for my way through that, I was a night security guard. And so, uh, there's a stadium here in Calgary called McMahon stadium. Uh, that's where the Calgary Stampeders play. And uh, so that was one of the places that I was assigned to. And as a part of that, uh, once an hour, I had to hop in a little quarter ton truck and drive around the parking lot, had a little light kind of on the ceiling, kind of like <laughs> picture like old school, like uh, PI movies where they like put this magnet thing on top of it before they start chasing somebody. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I had a truck with that kind of thing on it. And, uh, you know, I would drive around and like pretend to be made in PI or something, right? And, um, awesome. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, and, but like nothing ever happened, right? Like it was the most boring job imaginable. Mm -hmm. And, um, except for one night, uh, doing that kind of playing my role, all of a sudden it's just like, what just happened in front of me? Um, because I pulled up to this little Honda Civic that was parked at like maybe three in the morning or something like that. And, you know, thumping bass, ground effect lighting on all that kind of stuff. And as I pull up to it, I, I flipped a little switch and the little, uh, cherry goes on the top and um, all of a sudden this vehicle like speeds off cloud of burnt rubber like it's gone and mm -hmm. as it does that um, a woman is pushed out of the vehicle and she's just laying there on the ground and um, so here I am right like Mr. Training to be a pastor pretending to be Magnum PI at night just like frozen Right? Like I have my hands on the wheel and I'm frozen. I'm like, what just happened in front of me? I have no idea what to do. And um, so I um, honestly, I, I, had a, I had a pizza that was sitting on the chair, like on the seat next to me. And I noticed this woman's moving after a while. And like, I'm already on the phone with 911, right? Like I'm like, get the police mm -hmm. here right away, ambulance, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But while they wait, I just end up just kind of going out and sitting next to this woman on like just the parking lot and uh she was hungry and so we had some pizza together as we're waiting for the police to show up and and so like that that moment caused for me like this background question in my mind right like i'm studying theology i want to be a pastor you know i have this idea what my life what i want my life to be about kind of centered around helping people but and when the lights were turned on, right in that moment, I, when I could help a person, I had no idea what to do. Mm. And so I was like, that, 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 to me, that felt like the most fundamental cognitive disconnect I could imagine. Wow. And um, so that, that ate at me for like 10 years. Like I, I would go on from there. I'd be a youth pastor for a while. I worked for Young Life for close to a decade. Um, got into fundraising at the University of Calgary, like just the, the skills started to add up in terms of kind of preparing me for the role in hindsight. But all the while with this kind of naked question of like, I, I got to do something, 
because I want to help people. But I, when the lights were turned on in that very clear moment, I had no idea what to do. And then so um, I ended up being given a business card uh, for, for IJM. And I uh, just ended up Googling it and uh, just watched Gary Haugen's TED Talk. He's our founder. And um, it just like hit me like a load of bricks right square in the chest of like, wow, I can use some of my professional expertise here and have a reliable answer kind of at that scale, like not so much for the individual in that parking lot. I still think I'd probably just call 911 and maybe not get out of the vehicle this time, mm-hmm. just wait. But um, uh, for me, it felt like I can leverage some of the skills that I've been able to gather along the way in order to have a difference, to make the world a better place, uh, to do something kind of affect systems so that people don't end up in that kind of situation in the mm-hmm. first place. So. Yeah, that's kind of, that's, wow. that's how I got here. Philip. I mean, that's probably one of the most dramatic uh, experiences to where somebody has gone to then be in a position that I've heard of, and I've interviewed a lot of people. Let me ask you this. Do you think, in knowing that that happened to you, do you think that there's actually a lot of us that have actually been exposed or had a moment like that? that was maybe kind of a, a point to go that way and maybe we missed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying well, this not in like yeah. in general to the people who are listening and watching, but I just wonder how many times we've missed it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, hmm. I could probably pull three or four different experiences from my past and say something similar uh, of kind hmm. of just like that, that groundwork that was happening within myself of kind of leading towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like there's just very real like just realities that people deal with, right? Like if you got to pay your bills and you, you have a job that, that works right. for you, then, then pursue that mm-hmm. and, and do well at it. And there's nothing like spiritually wrong with right. that at all. Right. Like that's, that's super valuable. Um, and so I think that yes, there's probably missed opportunities. I mean, for myself, I could probably point to, I, I probably could have got a little bit more focused a little bit more earlier <laughs> um, around some of this stuff. Uh, but at the same time, I also like would want to stay steer clear of like saying that other forms of work don't have value, yeah. right? And, um, and finding out how to kind of bring your own value in the midst of, of whatever you're doing, whatever the work is. Um, is also just uniquely valuable in its own right as well. Yeah, no, that's good. Good answer. In that, I, you know, I want to get into the work of IJM Canada. And, you know, it's hard conversations to have. Mm-hmm. Slavery, on, online sexual exploitation of children. Um, you know, the, those are things where people are like, oh. Yeah. We know we need to know about it, care about it. And then there's other side where people are like, it's just too much, or I don't want to know. Or if I do know, then what does that mean I have to do? (laughs) Or Mm. um, I don't want to feel worse about my life anymore. Like, you know what I'm saying? Philip, I hear these, I say them internally to myself. So I want to talk about this because I think it's it's really important. It's really important to kind of dissect all of this and again not manipulate people or force people to care and love but i think it's important to have conversations like what we're having because i believe that once people hear then now they have the responsibility and choice to then do or not do but now we have given them the information and opportunity to do and now it's it's with them so mm-hmm. does that make sense? Like I'm, I'm very big yeah. on that. Okay. Yeah, totally. Um, let's talk about, I, I want to talk about first, there's a couple things, but I want to talk about slavery mm-hmm. first, uh, forced slavery. Um, you know, for some people, they actually really don't know what that means in today. today. Uh, so maybe defining it at what it looks like. I just want to talk about that a little bit because I know that's at the, you know, the, the heartbeat and of IJM and it's big and I didn't realize how big it was actually in the world. So maybe you can kind of give us some insight what it is, what can be done. Yeah. 
So just from like a raw numbers perspective, uh, experts around the world, so like the Global Slavery Index, Walk Free Foundation, groups like that, they all say that there's uh, roughly, and, and like this is rough numbers, it's sophisticated okay. in a way, but slavery by definition is cloak and dagger, right? Like people don't want to you know, promote that they have slaves, right? So yeah. um, there's uh, roughly kind of the numbers are about 40, just over 40 million people today uh, that are trapped in slavery. Um, which is way bigger than I thought it would be when That's I first started. That's huge. I, I thought it's a lot bigger than I thought too. Yeah. So like in Canada, right, like looking for good analogies, right? Like, so that's the entire population of Canada plus the GTA again. So plus right. GTA times two. So plus the greater Toronto area times two. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's, that's crazy. Huge. Right. So imagine the entire city of Toronto being gone twice after the country of Canada got wiped out. Um, so that's, that's the scale of people that we're talking about. Um, in terms of like areas of the world, uh, where we see kind of higher concentrations of that. Mm -hmm. um, South Asia uh, is probably the epicenter of this forced slaver, uh, forced slavery uh, component specifically. Mm -hmm. And so you're you're probably think you're probably saying between a third and a half of all people that are in slavery are in South Asia. And so, what does that look like? Um, in a lot of ways, what we see as being a, a, a very prevalent form of forced labor is what we call bonded labor slavery. So that's where you have, uh, to give a paint of a bit of a picture, say you have somebody that's a broker on behalf of like a, a brick kiln owner or a rice mill or something like that. Uh, they go out into poor villages intentionally trying to find people who are in a desperate situation. Right. So uh, somebody that has emergency medical bills because a child is sick or um, going into an area that has had a failed crop season or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then finding people who are on the edge of desperation and will kind of agree to stuff that they probably know intrinsically that this person is freaking me out. Mm -hmm. And so then they're offered a loan. This is where the bonded part comes in. Right. So they're offered a loan that says, here's something to deal with your emergency situation that you have right now. Uh, in return, come and work it off, right? And so here's a contract, just sign it. Um, everything will be good from this point on. And so kind of like painting themselves as like the hero within that person's emergency situation. Hmm. And so that happens, the person gets brought to this brick kiln or this rice mill, whatever the case is. And then when they get there, they realize that there's a lot of promises that were made that just aren't true. Right. So then all of a sudden they have no ability to move, right? They can't leave and find another job to try to pay off the loan faster. And so that's that's where it becomes slavery when you have no choice. Uh, mm. You can't go and do things on your own. Um, being forced to work in working conditions that are absolutely deplorable, right? Like we've seen, I, I won't get into any gory details of the stories, but like we've seen hundreds and hundreds of different kind of scale of stories of um, kind of the the depth of violence, the depth of, of coercion, the depth of um, fear and intimidation that's even levied on the person or their family that's no longer there. Um, sometimes the rest of the family is brought in in order to help pay off this loan faster. Um, but then quite often what we'll see in these contracts is that um, in the fine print, you have things like um, uh, thousands of percent of interest on the initial loan that's uh, kind of occurred weekly or monthly. Mm. And so it, it becomes this unpayable situation uh, that no matter how much kind of they're being paid for the work, this payoff type of situation, it's actually just a big ruse, right? Like there's no way to actually do that. And um, then when you try to leave, then, then the violence gets exponentially higher, right? And so mm. um, that's what slavery looks like today in, in a lot of ways. And Basically, any industry that requires labor, you can find it. So, wow. um, like I said, bricks, rice, uh, flowers, uh, making the shoes that we use, like flip-flops, rubber, um, just like bread flour. Uh, basically, anything that you can imagine that's a product that required somebody to work to make it. Wow. So, Phil, let's just pause for a second. Because as you say that, I'm going through my head of all the things I use on a daily basis where I purchase. Right. 
And then I have to take a pause and go, I mean, in all transparency, am I choosing not to think about who's doing it because I actually want the goods? Because <laughs> I'm a consumer and I want my life to be comfortable and great and mm -hmm. and sparkly and nice, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a real thing. That's a real thing yeah. that it's like, do I want to know? Do I care to know? And if I do, then what will that mean as far as my, my spending or what I purchase, right? Like that you're actually, you know, making me pause to think about some shifts, mm -hmm. which is uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. So, I mean, it's like good. It's... I mean, I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm processing with you, Philip. I'm processing mm -hmm. yep. as, as, as listeners and viewers would be doing the same going, oh, shoot. Do I want to even think that way? Because then what does this mean down the line? Yeah. And if I do, how will that change my life and, and my decisions? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to present two different lenses okay. to look at that problem. This through. is good. Yeah. Um, so lens one mm -hmm. is, uh, we'll call it the, the, the Wilberforce lens, right? Yeah. So William Wilberforce has this famous saying, I'm going to butcher it. Sorry, it's not absolutely correct <laughs> okay. here, but... Um, Oh, wait, I have this saying, book right here. Let me check. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. But uh, uh, saying that um, uh, you may choose to never look again, but you can never now say that you that you, that you had never known in the yes. first place. Right? Yeah. And so that's that's one kind of approach of just like this. It's either A or B, right? Mm -hmm. um, now I know some information I didn't know before, and I may choose to ignore it, but I can no longer say I didn't know. Right. Um, for some people, that's really motivating and it causes a lot of action and response, which is great. Some people, it's really demotivating, right? Because it's like, well, what do I do with that? Like, yeah. I have no idea where to go from here. Um, perhaps a little bit more of a nuanced approach, mm. I'll suggest. Um, it comes from a book called Just Church. And so it's written by a guy named Jim Martin, uh, who's uh, on the IJM staff in the U.S. And... Uh, what he, he proposes is kind of like a, a framework of, of processing uh, called uh, three E's. So uh, encounter, um, explore, and engage. And so you can encounter stuff sometimes, right? Like this conversation and be like, wow, I had no idea that my flip-flops potentially were made by someone trapped in slavery. That's disturbing. Um and then for most people, the immediate reaction is immediately like, let's go to engage right now. Like, I, I have to do something like mm -hmm, let's, mm -hmm. let's do something um, because the, the emotions that are wrapped up in this kind of conversation are typically the two most powerful ones are anger and fear. Mm -hmm. Right. So or anger and hopelessness, maybe more accurately. So um, when you have that A-B kind of response, it's you either get angry or some people get hopeless Anger is actually kind of worse than hopelessness because you can't actually put it somewhere tangibly most of the time. And mm -hmm. so then that anger becomes hopeless. So mm. then it becomes cynical. Yeah. Um, and which is not helpful. <laughs> um, so that second E in this other framework of encounter, explore, and then engage is really, really important. And so okay. the, ex the exploring part is kind of the internal inventory. Right. So what do I have available to me? Right. So for yourself, I have a platform. I'm going to bring somebody on to talk about this because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. That's that's the work of doing an inventory and saying, what's the next step for me? Um, for myself, it might be, well, I have some skills related to public speaking or related to fundraising. And so I'm going to leverage my life in order to try to have some uh, some work there. That's that comes out of my own internal inventory kind of thing. For someone else, it might someone I encountered that owns a, a CrossFit gym in Northern Alberta, uh, he does a fundraiser uh, from, from uh, here on, like kind of randomly here and there, uh, where basically it's all these people coming together and doing CrossFit for a purpose, right? And so they're doing something. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. um, for some, it could be like, a, uh, I know we're gonna talk about later, but like wearing a dress for the entire month, right? That's mm -hmm. That comes out of doing inventory work. Uh, and what why I say that, all that, is what's really important is that you can go from an encounter to engage and do something and maybe do something really great, but then ultimately burn out. Because mm -hmm. if you don't do the work to actually explore what you can do specifically and have that inventory and have something that's a measured response, ultimately it's going to be short-sighted. 
Hmm. It's good. So, encounter, explore, engage. Yeah. So, as we're looking at slavery, like I'm looking through these different things, and mm -hmm. people are listening, going, I didn't know there was 40 million people in forced slavery. Um, you know, wow, the number's huge. So, you know, they're like, what can we do? And how can we make it so it actually connects with me? Here, here, maybe here's the bigger question, Philip. What I noticed in through the pandemic into the next generation, and this is just, you know, my, my kind of, you know, looking at, you know, the people that I'm around, uh, my teenage kids, um, you know, needs and priorities are really focused around closer to home crises, neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, maybe even my country. That's kind of big. But, you know, like right now, yeah. it seems like people are like, it's immediate needs. There's a family yeah. down the street that doesn't have food. My buddy's bike broke. Let's give Mal. Right? Like it's this kind of. So in that, I think maybe this is a question I've actually been wanting to ask you about. I, I want to figure out that, but it's why it's important and maybe you can give a bigger thought about this to consider and support globally i'm not mm -hmm. saying that we don't we stop supporting kind of locally but i and for me especially living overseas you know uh, work i've done you know prior to media was in international development and advocacy you know living in the philippines living in singapore you know, as a missionary kid and knowing the needs of the world, that was my life. I, I understand that very personally. And a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't have those yep. same experiences I do. Yep. So maybe in the when I'm asking about what do we do, maybe you can also answer that question. Because I'm trying to get the answer to that too, Philip. Like, yes, yep. we need to help locally. And we're, we've been a little insular as we've been kind of in this pandemic. But we need both. And how do we then do that well, if possible? Yep. Yeah. Does that make uh, sense? Uh, it Does totally that... makes sense. Okay, because that's yeah. all been in my head, and I'm so glad. I was like, actually wrote that down. So I'm like, that's the question I have to ask Philip when we when we meet, because yeah. I'd, I'd love a great answer for that. Yeah, so um, maybe kind of borrowing from some biblical text here. I love uh, that. <laughs> the, the, sto the story of the Good Samaritan, right? So in Luke. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have this story of this this amazing heroic figure that does something that others won't. Um, which is a really great story, right? Like it's it's one of those rare kind of biblical references that still kind of pervades popular culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody knows what it means to be a good Samaritan. Yeah. Um, I think that what potentially is a little bit of a, of a, a thing to think about a little bit more critically is why that road. And mm -hmm. so what I mean by that is when Jesus is telling the story, his listeners are familiar, right? He's, he's doing contextually based storytelling, right? So he's, he's laying out this road between Jericho and Jerusalem that is kind of known to the listeners that this is a, this is a dangerous place to be. And so then he specifically names these kind of figures or leaders, even within the religious community, that are traveling this road and doing nothing for this guy that's on the side of the road, but somebody from kind of that other community that does something right so that, that's a, that that in itself is a powerful story however when we take the context into consideration as well of these people that are listening understand that this is a dangerous place i think that part of what the work of justice broadly is kind of asking people to do and kind of the case for kind of global support mm -hmm. is we know we know that we know that we know that there are pockets around the world or there are things that are happening outside of our own borders that are just fundamentally wrong, right? Yet mm -hmm. we as the contextual listeners in that story are okay with the fact that there's this dangerous road connecting these two cities. Mm. And somehow we find that there's this heroic story of the guy who does something in the midst of that is the story worth telling. Right. So like the IJM guy who's going out and rescuing girls from brothels, that's the heroic story. No, that's not the heroic story. What would be the heroic story is if we didn't if we didn't have to do that. Right. Yes. Because that meant 
that the contextual listeners had enough of hearing about this dangerous place and did something about it. Um, and so bringing it home for me, one thing that is a weakness of mine in terms of like my own spending habits and consumerism and all those things that gets wrapped up into it is technology, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I like having the newest phone. Like that's, yeah. that's just, <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but when, when I think about that, I say, okay, so inside of that phone is a battery. That battery requires certain raw materials in order to be a rechargeable battery, namely cobalt. Okay, where does cobalt come from? Well, probably about half of the world's cobalt comes from the, uh, the Congo in Africa. Okay, so what is the, like, how, how does sourcing look like in the Congo? Mm. Well, it's, it's not great. Um, like there's some really, uh, IGM doesn't work there directly, but there is some really disturbing studies that have been put out there about kind of working conditions of the artisanal mining industry in the mm. Congo. And um, so as someone who's trying to live a life that's bent towards justice and, and trying to make, make the road safe and not just about the heroic figure within that story, um, sometimes I need to check myself and be like, no, I actually don't need to update my device. I actually don't need that new thing. Um, maybe rather than spending a thousand dollars on that new phone, uh, maybe I should do something else with that money. Um, because for, and like, that's hard <laughs> just to be clear. Um, mm. because there's so many different pressures that we have internally, externally, right? We want to be cool. We want to be seen a certain way. We want to do the things, we want to be a part of whatever. Um, but Doing all that ignores the fact that there's this really dangerous road that I'm just okay with being there. Hmm. Um, if it means that I get my phone. Um, and that's a, like comparing that to other things, right? So when I buy a new pair of shoes, how often do I need to do that? Um, how many do I need? Um, do I buy a new suit jacket, right? Do I have to get it brand new every time? Can I go consignment? Is there different ways that I can maybe have like micro decisions that lead to larger kind of influence mm -hmm. down the road? But then also, like you mentioned, advocacy, right? One of the things that uh, we just went through an election cycle. And one of the things that really bothered me in that whole thing was that there was a piece of legislation that was being debated uh, that was getting close to the finish line around a Transparencies and Supply Chains Act. Um, and it died for the third time on the table, right? So in Canada, if there's legislation being talked about or debated, if an election election is called, it dies, and then you have to restart the whole process again with the mm -hmm. new government. And so three election cycles, there's been some form of legislation around transparency and supply chains, which would make it easier to make some of these decisions in Canada. Yeah. And it's died every time. And every major political party through the course of the campaign was uh, talking about making it a promise to do something around modern slavery legislation. And so I'm waiting to see what that actually is now. But um, yeah, it's it's that's a part that is it, it's interconnected. There's layers to it. Sometimes it's me as my own personal decision making. Sometimes it's demanding more from the people that have power over the systems in which I mm -hmm. live in. Yeah. Um, and so it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. I could round No, that is a lot. <laughs> and what I'm hearing you say, Philip, is that, you know, when I'm saying like local and global, our decisions that we make impact globally, right? Yeah. The decisions I make here at home with my family, with my partner, uh, at my workplace, with my girlfriends, those decisions can have huge impact globally. It's also mm -hmm. what you're saying is we can make, help make decisions globally for protection of others by mm -hmm. pressuring those in power, especially, you know, in, in politics to, to do what they say they're going to do, yeah. um, to, to call them to account and accountability in, in these measures. So that's actually really good because I think sometimes we separate, like here's local, here's, here's global. So here I am locally doing something. So how do I actually like access globally? Do I have to go over there? What do I do? But 
that was it was really good what you said because I can see that in the decisions we make, those will impact globally as well as locally as well. Yeah. It's good. Really good. Okay, so for slavery, in I wanted to like, kind of do it by like sections here. So with IJM Canada, if we're like, you know, we want to help, and I know we've already just talked about this, but what can we practically do through IJM to make steps in, in you know, ending forced slavery? What are some practical things we can do? Yeah, so the, the most practical thing, the most urgent and real thing uh, is honestly donations. Okay. Um, because one of the things that's really unique about this particular world is that it's it's not drilling a well, it's not building a school, it's not kind of providing access for something else to be enjoyed. It's um, making it so that things like that can be accessed in, in equity. Okay. Right? So if someone is in a brick kiln and they're trapped, going over and building a school doesn't help that person who's trapped in slavery, right? Because that thing doesn't exist for them practically. Right. And so we need that kind of that highly trained specific skill set that IJM offers in collaboration with local law enforcement to go and actually get that person out. So that so the money can... that you give helps to get them out. And what does that yeah. look like by meaning yeah. getting them out? Yeah. So everything IJM does is in collaboration with local law enforcement. So like we'll yes. do um, investigations, undercover investigations, making sure we kind of build the evidence in order to bring to the local police to go and do a joint rescue mm. operation to bring people out. And then we also have a whole aftercare system that we work again with, with the local system in place in order to make sure there's minimum standards of care and all that kind of stuff to make sure that people have a chance to actually move forward beyond that point and they aren't uh, re-exploited down the line. Um, and so that's that's a huge part of it. Um, another huge part is actually elevating survivor voices. Mm. And so I what, like I would, what I would recommend is um, just to look up, uh, you can look in, in IJM's or IJM Canada's YouTube uh, channels uh, okay. for the Glo Global Survivor Network. So this oh. is a group of people around the world that, we, that we've worked with that uh, are survivors that uh, IGM has been able to support rescues on uh, that are now using their voice and that we're helping to amplify that as nice. a voice of saying, here's, here's what it actually looks like, feels like, smells like. And um, uh, one of the things we want to do with that group is bring them to places like Canada to speak to politicians and say, like, I'm a, <laughs> this is my story and you can make a difference. Wow, Global Survivor Network. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I love that. I'm all about that. I love the amplifying of voices. I love uh, giving platform to to women and men to share their story. Right up our alley here at See Here Love. Yeah. Definitely will check that out. Is that And that's on the IJM Canada website? That or you, YouTube? You can, uh, if you just even search in Google, uh, Global Survivor Network, IJM. You'll fantastic. Find you know, I want to say this. I think that's the uniqueness of IJM. Um, I think that uh, the uniqueness of working with law enforcement, I, I love that. I sometimes find, and it's not a, <laughs> it's not a slam against any other organization. You know, I'm saying that sometimes organizations would just go do it all themselves. This is what's best. We're going to just do it. Whereas hearing that IJM actually works within local townships, police, enforcement, that makes sense. Like work with who's there, work with who has skills and abilities, influence, connections, and ends. Work with, you know, uh, educating even local enforcement, law enforcement, that it's important <clears throat> that they get behind this and support it and do this. Like I, that's really good, Philip. Like that's really encouraging. You know, that yeah. you're not going over and going, we're going to now create our own little enforcement group and then we're going to go and do this and then we're going to, you know what I mean? Like, I, I really love that kind of working together because I believe that possibly maybe in some of in these villages and towns, maybe enforcement isn't all that about it. And that for you to come in and say, actually, this is serious, important. We need to work together. You need to understand and changing your thinking about it to help your own people and the people in your village, like and town, like that's, that's great. It, it's, it's really like, I'm looking at this, I'm taking notes. That's it's, that's really good to be working with them. I guess I'm just affirming. 
I, yeah. I'm just affirming that that what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's, it's really fun. I had a chance to talk with one of our investigators about kind of how they go about doing like that work of like maybe mm-hmm. convincing a police station to join in on the fight. Yeah, kind of thing. I, yeah, that's I'd, I'd like to hear about that. That's interesting. And uh, the, the way that uh, uh, he described it is that say you have a police station and 10% of the people that are there mm-hmm. are legitimate everyday heroes. They want to see their community safer and, and a place where their kids can grow up and be proud, right? Yeah. And then maybe you have 10% which are like villains, right? Like they're mm-hmm. maybe benefiting directly from a brothel around the corner. Like there, there could be a very insidious uh, kind of intention there. Yeah. And then you have 90% in the middle or 80% in the middle, sorry, uh, that are just probably underpaid, probably overworked, um, probably concerned about their own safety in the midst of doing what they're asked to do mm-hmm. that are trying to keep their head down so they can go home safe at the end of the night to be with their kids. And so how do you change that environment? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things, this is going to sound so silly, but one of the things that we found works really, really well is that you don't actually focus on the the 10 on one end that are like um, evil, let's say. I don't want to call anybody evil, but people are doing bad things. Yeah. Um, And then you have, so you, you don't really focus on them. You focus on the other 10 and you give them a raise. Right. You work with their bosses and make mm. sure that they're they're well compensated. You maybe hold an award ceremony and, and give make up an award and give it mm-hmm. right. Like celebrate people for doing good work. Mm-hmm. And because the power in that scenario lies with the 80 percent in the middle. Yeah. And so which way are they gravitating towards? Right. Yeah. And, and like even like in a local context. Right. Like if we want to lead change locally. Uh, how do we have narratives or how do we encourage conversation to move one way versus another? Yeah. Right? Because, because power rests with the majority of people in any given context. So good, Philip. Wow. So good. All right. I want to transition into to another big topic and then get to December. Cause I, <laughs> okay. I, but I know you did a TEDx talk on this, yeah. and this is a big conversation. But again, some of the principles, what you've already said, but I want to just get another snapshot of what's happening. Because I don't think, again, not everybody knows about this and the numbers and what's happening. So you did a TEDx talk on OSEC, Online Sexual Exploitation of Children. Now, I mm-hmm. even just to say that gives pain in my heart. Like I just, yeah. it's... um. So I, I want to talk about that because, again, it's, it's like these hard topics that people either don't want to talk about, right? They don't want to confront it. They don't want to feel it because it's painful and it's emotional and it's, it's the most vulnerable and it's overwhelming. But it's important that we do because it's happening and it needs to end and we need to, to be a part of voices to stop it and protect children. So uh, maybe just maybe talk about, um, you know, what it is, how it's happening, and again, what you know we can do. I know you did the you know encounter, you know, explore, engage, but again, what we can do through IJM uh, mm-hmm. to support you in in this work. Yeah, yeah. On that whole, like people don't want to talk about it front. Um, if you go and watch that talk, that's uh, that TEDx talk. That's how I started. Kind of that that speech was um, it's kind of a, a joke way of introducing a, a heavy topic, but mm-hmm. um, I just kind of talked that if you find yourself at a, a dinner party setting, let's say, where uh, you're talking to somebody and the conversation is awkwardly just a little bit too long, right? Where like you're trying to find a way out, but the other person's just not letting you have that. Um, and if I just so happen to be there, I, I just encourage people in that audience, just wave me over because I can guarantee you I can shut that conversation down in 10 seconds flat. Because mm-hmm. people do not like talking about this topic at all. Yeah. Um, and the reason why is because a number of factors. Uh, number one, Canada is a demand side country when it comes to this issue. So and what that means is that there's countries, most notably the Philippines, um, is seen as a supply side country for this crime. Right. So. Uh, there's customers, if you want to use that term, uh, in countries like Canada, Australia, the U.S., Western, Northern Europe, that are wealthier 
have access to things like what we're talking on right now, right? A video streaming platform of some kind um, that have a little bit of money that have insidious intent that they want to force a child to do something. And then there's people that are living in other areas. And like the reason why the Philippines is a bit of a perfect storm for this is because of uh, kind of high knowledge of money transfer kind of situations because of the amount of expat community that sends money back into the country. Yeah. Um, a high uh, uh, English proficiency specifically. Say English speaking, yeah. Yeah. And then also relatively cheap access to high speed internet. And so when you combine those three things together, um, you know, there's, it's just kind of become known within like this community, if you want to call it that, this network of uh, pedophiles really globally that know it's an area that you can go and find what you want for kind of a low price point, which is gross. Mm -hmm. And um, pre, pre-COVID, when I gave that talk, uh, the numbers were horrifying in terms of the the amount of bandwidth dedicated towards this kind of thing and um post covid now or, or in covid now what we've seen is it's like a threefold demand increase for this kind of thing uh, because people are sitting at home and um you know the kids that are abused on the other end as well are also sitting at home and kind of don't have any options of, and part of what makes it even harder is that quite often it's it's a it's a mother caregiver of that child, which is the one that's facilitating the sale and transaction of this live stream video that a pedophile somewhere in the world wants to watch. And so this person is directing what they want to see live, right? And so sometimes it's one child, sometimes it's multiple children, a child and an adult. You know, and I can go on and on and on, but mm. it's point being that. Um, it's a it's a form of modern human trafficking that doesn't even require movement of the person, um, and so it's within that kind of IJM's catalog of things that we fight. This is the bottom of of the deep dark hole, and um, it's 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 not okay. Yeah, you know it's hard to hear this as a Filipino. Um, woman. Yeah, it's hard. I'm actually quite emotional about it. I think hmm, there's just so much. And, and I will say this, Philip, I mean, I'm very aware. I don't talk about this, but, you know, I was adopted when I was a baby uh, by a beautiful Canadian missionary family. But I'm very aware of if that hadn't happened the great possibility of what could have happened to me, especially in that time and, and knowing mm -hmm. the time frame of when I was born and what life was like back then, um, where back then there wasn't, you know, online exploitation. It was a lot more moving movement mm -hmm. of trafficking and knowing in that time frame uh, and history, as I was informed growing up, um, there was a lot of that with with young babies and children in my time that were being trafficked like all over the world yeah. so i'm very aware and i'm i think it's just so hard to hear it's so hard to think that there are people making these decisions um that are harming the most vulnerable you know yeah. it's it's difficult you know, I think that's, and I think that's probably why I think sometimes like you hear this and you're overwhelmed. You're like, what can I do? And then sometimes you just don't want to deal with it. So you just sort of like hear it and then move on because it's too hard to confront. But I think it's important that we do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It really is. I'm, and I'm grateful that you and IJM are because it's, it's hard, <laughs> you know, um, what can be done? It seems like, like how, how can you get the pedophile or perpetrator when it's online? What, what would our money do or um, our voice do to, to end this when it seems so difficult? Because again, it's, it's not like an actual moving and you can, you can catch them, you know, it's, it, and I don't know much about the online in this way, mm -hmm. but maybe you can speak to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
number one, um, our voice matters a lot in this conversation. As much as we don't want to talk about it, yeah. probably more than other forms of violence that IJM works against, our voice mm-hmm. matters probably even more. Um, yeah. Because Canada is a demand-side country, if we start talking about this at scale, right? So similarly, it used to be super taboo to talk about um, domestic violence within Canada, right? Mm -hmm. But we know that that's becoming more and more of a conversation. And so more and more people are coming forward. And so we're seeing change there. This is a similar type of dynamic at play here, Mm -hmm. that there are people in the privacy of their own homes, which are abusing children on the other side of the world. And so we need to talk about that. We need to get it out there, make sure people understand that's a thing that's happening. Yeah. Um, so awareness is power here. Um, one thing that's super tangible that we can do is uh, there's a, a website that we set up called notonmyscreen.ca. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just like a, uh, I call it a no-brainer pledge of uh, just kind of signing up uh, a pledge online that gives you some social media shareables to, to kind of share on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, wherever you are, um, that uh, just kind of helps to raise that conversation and, and get the conversation going. Uh, but the no-brainer pledge part of it is saying, I refuse to use my screen for this kind of thing, right? Yeah. So that's not on my screen. Um, so that's a super tangible thing. Uh, what's really encouraging is that there's there's big conversations happening in the background right now around this. And Good. so one one thing that's really difficult with this kind of crime in particular, which you kind of pointed out, is that it happens in secret corners, right? So it's really hard to even measure the prevalence of something like this. And um, because like it's it's not it's not child pornography, right? Um so it's it's not something that's hosted online somewhere. It's not what we saw with MindGeek and Pornhub kind of thing yeah. uh, where it's something that can be taken down. It's something that exists that's not recorded in a private chat room, which is then gone once, once someone hits that red button to hang up. And so, um, but what we are beginning to understand and learn through uh, the leadership of some some private corporations here in Canada, most most notably Scotiabank is, is a leader in this conversation mm. of um, making sure that uh, from a, uh, a financial crimes reporting perspective, they're able to work with the, the regulator here in Canada called FinTrack in order to flag uh, suspicious transactions. And so th- they have a, an initiative uh, called Project Shadow, which is aptly named as like bringing some of the stuff out from the shadows and um so like i, I just love to celebrate them when i can mm-hmm. to just like yes. see this is a thing that's happening it's um and i like just had some really inspiring conversations with some of their leadership of just like what what are they trying to do in this space and um likewise there's also round tables being convened uh uh, IJM being one of those of bringing in large players like Scotiabank or uh, Microsoft or or different groups that own massive buckets of data mm-hmm. that can be uh, figured out of how do we actually go about being sophisticated around this and smarter than the criminals. And so mm-hmm. um, law enforcement agencies globally are in similar conversations right now. And so it's it's a thing that there's there's a bit of a I don't want to be too like um, fantasaical or like inflammatory mm-hmm. about kind of talking about it, but there's there's a bit of a, if you want to call it a trap, <laughs> a bit of a circling happening of like, how, how do we start to actually address this, right? So yeah. there's some super interesting conversations that are happening. Um, so my, my hope, like I'm an optimist, my hope is that a decade from now, we're going to be talking about the work that was done during the pandemic which led to solutions around this yeah. issue while the prevalence of it was going through the moon. Um, mm-hmm. So it's good. That's really good. You know, I think it is so important to keep conversations like this. Like even when hearing from you, Philip, it's good for me so that I can communicate it, you know, to my girlfriends and to on my platform, because it's, it's so important that I, I like what you said, that our voice matters, mm-hmm. you know, that, when we feel it, we hear it. It's not, you know, we can do something, but it's also, I think, in, in these 
these situations, these issues need to be shared and then shared so more voices speak up and more things can be done. So important. Now, I know we um, talked earlier as we kind of finish up our conversation about December. You kind of teased it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I did December um, a few years ago with IJM Canada. And I always joke, Philip, because December obviously had to have come out of somewhere warm in the U.S. Because oh, yeah. wearing a dress <laughs> in the winter in Canada should get more gold stars or something because that was <laughs> that was really challenging. But you know what? It was good because it was hard. And every time I was mad and I was cold because I was wearing a dress in minus 20 degree weather. Yeah. I realized that this is just like a teeny bit of pain that the people I was supporting and, you know, helping experience every day. It actually was really good. Like there yeah. are moments where I'd start complaining and then I'd kind of like live into the pain and the cold because I'm like, this is, this is how they must feel that kind of feeling. So let's talk about it. I, it was, mm -hmm. it, I will say this, it was challenging, but then I got creative and then, women started suggesting things I could wear with my black dress. <laughs> and um, it became really a fun community experience. But maybe you can talk a little bit about that, sure. how, did, how it works and then where the money goes. And yeah, um, yeah it'd be great. Yeah, so uh, you, you're right. It was founded by uh, <laughs> some women in Northern California, I believe. Um, there it is. There <laughs> so, it is. Okay. <laughs> it, uh, uh, but to their credit, like the original intention of it was it was one dress um it wasn't a whole bunch of dresses yeah it was just, i just wore my one. one black no i actually i cheated philip i my at that time i had a clothing sponsor and it was beautiful they sponsored my oh, two huh. dresses but they were the same because as women we know i didn't want to keep watching my yeah. same black dress i went over so they're like melinda we're going to gift you the second identical dress so you can do one dress and the next dress. So everybody thought, I mean, technically it was the same dress, but it was right. actually two dresses. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I, I actually did it last year for the first time as a man. Okay. Okay. Um, and so the idea is like you, you just, you wear a tie instead of a dress every day. Right. Um, and uh, I, I had some fun community stuff around it too, because I like kind of set a stretch goal for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And I was like, if you guys help me hit this goal, I'll go swimming in my backyard in the snow wearing my swimming trunks and a tie. And uh, so they ended up ended up doing that. Um, that's a thing that lives on the Internet somewhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but the, the so the idea of December is that you you minimize your own choices mm -hmm. in order to have a little bit of empathy with those that have no choices. Right. And so then by standing shoulder to shoulder with somebody um, and then asking people to join you in this journey of saying that I'm, I'm choosing to have less choices in order to raise the voice of somebody that doesn't have the ability to have a choice in the first place. Right. Um, so like that's, that's why I love it. I think it's a brilliant campaign. Um, the funds uh, this year through the uh, December Canada campaign uh, is going to go around this issue of OSEC. And uh, so the, the online sexual exploitation of children. And so like talk about, you know, for myself when I'm wearing a tie, right, getting dressed in the morning, putting it on is like I'm, I'm thinking about somebody not looking into a mirror tying a tie. I'm thinking about somebody looking into a camera, into that black mirror of that screen, right? That's like I have a choice of which pattern I want to wear to coordinate with my tie. The person I'm wearing it for doesn't have a choice because they're being forced to do something unspeakable in front of a camera. Mm. Um, and so um, that's that's my like that's why I'm doing it. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's what it's all about. So good. How can we sign up and and become advocates or give? Um, how can we do that? Yeah, December uh, Canada. Uh, just search it up online. Um, I'm not sure if we can put like a link in the show notes or yeah. those kinds of things. Um, that would be what I recommend to do. And all funds from the December Canada uh, campaign uh, go directly to IGM Canada and specifically this work of uh, fighting OSEC. Fantastic. Philip, it was a pleasure listening to you and chatting with you. Let, let's end with 
maybe some encouragement to someone who's listening, watching. And it's like, that was a lot of information. Sure. I, I don't know if I'm grieved or how I feel. <laughs> um, because I, even amidst the darkness and this, I, I believe in hope. Mm-hmm. I believe that there, there is hope. Maybe we can end with that. Your thoughts on on hope in in these, you know, in forced slavery, in you know, sexual exploitation online of children, so many things. Is there yeah. hope? And do you believe that it's possible to see good things happen and change? Yeah, you know, I I generally have a bit of a posture of being for those who know me really well, a little bit of a cynic. <laughs> Um, and probably rightfully gained. Um, but I got to say, some of our staff that I've had the opportunity to meet around the world, right? So people who actually go in and do the investigations around slavery or OSEC or those kinds of things. These are, these are the most hope-filled people I've ever met in my life. Hmm. Um, because part of that is that they actually get to have the day-to-day interaction of what a person goes through and seeing them come out of that and seeing what they end up on the other end of it, Hmm. right? So like sometimes I find it difficult at church, for example, of like, what does this all mean, right? Like what's what's the tangible thing I can hold on to as that piece of hope going into my week, right? Like we sang some songs, we heard a good sermon, all those kinds of things, but what is that, like, what do I grab onto? Whereas this work, like, there's so much to grab onto because you see people's lives literally going from the, the brink of not being a thing to flourishing. Mm-hmm. And um, one, one way that I can describe that is uh, uh, leading up to that TEDx talk that I did, I went to the Philippines and got to meet some of our social workers and some of the children we were serving and that kind of thing. And I ended up uh, getting into a basketball game mm-hmm. at, a, at a shelter <laughs> basketball is everything in the Philippines. It is everything. Yeah. And, uh, so I ended up getting into a basketball game just with like a, a bunch of boys at a shelter. Uh, the, these boys were boys that we rescued from from OSEC, and uh, uh, they were they were just so jazzed to play basketball against me. It's like you know this six foot guy who's you know from <laughs> the other side of the ocean, um, and they and they good like really good. And uh, I didn't stand a chance. I realized shortly after tip off, like I, I won the tip off. But uh, mm-hmm. shortly after that, <laughs> it was over. Yeah. And um, just seeing the joy in their faces was mm-hmm. just worth it. Like just absolutely worth it. And um, I know that there is thousands and thousands, probably tens of thousands of people that are in need of rescue from that right now. Mm-hmm. And like we said earlier, there's millions of people that are in need of rescue from slavery. But I also know there's a lot of basketball games that are waiting to be played and that they can actually be played. That's good. That's really good, Philip. Wow, I got a lot of emotion in that. That's that's a beautiful way to end. There's a lot of basketball games that are still needing to be played. And we can be a part of that as we lend our voice and our finances and support and prayers to IJM Canada and IJM. Mm-hmm. Philip Calvert, thank you so much. A, a, an honor and pleasure to talk and listen to you. Know that we'll be praying for you and your team as you go about this work. And I hope that so many people register for December, December.ca and really help in the areas of forced slavery and OSEC. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for also for you in choosing to to be in this work and to being a voice uh, for the most marginalized and for the people that God loves so, so deeply. So thanks so much. Thank you. This has been a fun conversation. Hey everyone, we're so excited to share that this year, See Her Love is partnering with International Justice Mission Canada, IJM Canada, and December Canada. Now, December is a community of international advocates utilizing fashion and creativity to help end human trafficking and restore dignity to all women. And since 2013, December has raised over $13 million 
through their annual style challenge and over 35,000 men and women have joined the movement. You can sign up and commit, here it is, to wearing a dress or tie every day of December. And then you create your own fundraising page. You set a goal on how much you want to raise and then you share about the realities of human trafficking and why you are raising funds with your community, your family, your colleagues, anybody to help free those in slavery and human trafficking. So when you donate to or fundraise on behalf of December Canada, you're helping to protect some of the world's most vulnerable communities through IGM's global efforts, including those in the Philippines, uh, like you heard about today. IJM and December's vision is a world where justice for the poor is unstoppable and all people are free. So all you have to do is join us by going to IJM.ca slash love. IJM.ca slash love has all the information about how to get involved, how to fundraise, what you can wear, but be creative. We'd love to see you doing it. Hashtag us at see here love as well on our socials so that we can all be together as we do this so again ijm.ca slash see here love and let's end human trafficking and slavery today together what an amazing thoughtful hard conversation with philip um i love what he said at the end there that there are more basketball games to be played and i hope that you'll join us here at see here love and myself uh, to really support IJM Canada. Uh, Philip mentioned a number of things, Drisember.ca. Um, if you want to give or actually participate in this uh, worldwide campaign, uh, that would be great. Also, uh, to hear Global Survivor Network stories. Uh, the other thing that was really important was that we need to listen to the stories of global survivors of slavery and sexual exploitation. So go to Global Survivor Network um, on YouTube. Just key it in and you'll hear their stories. And again, um, ijmcanada.ca um, is a, a great place to hear more information about what they do. So please join us as we lend our voice um, and lend our platform uh, and lend our stories uh, to help end forced slavery and end OSEC. Uh, and as you do, I mean, it's so important. And I know as you listened, I got really emotional. Uh, I think it obviously because it has to do with the Philippines and me being Filipino and Canadian and uh, Canada's part in all of this. Um, but I do remain hopeful. I know that we can make a difference. I know that God loves. Wow. God loves all these people that are in slavery and are being exploited and we need to love and care for them as well. So that's my call out and shout out. And I think more so for us to know this truth, but I feel like the people who are being exploited and hurt need to know this as well, that God sees you and he hears you and he loves you and he is with you. And so I think that's just the promise I need to end with for this show. Thanks for joining us.